0: one of the hardest things to do with being a writer is everything is self-motivation. If you don't get joy from simply writing, it's so hard to do. Like if I was not happy to wake up every morning and like stroll out to my office with a cup of coffee, half asleep, ready to start my day and wanting to write, it would be a horrible, horrible thing.
1: This is the Crit RPG Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything lit RPG, progression fantasy, and royal rose. Hi, and welcome to the Crit RPG Podcast, the only podcast where I repeatedly return to New Zealand because hobbits throw their ring into my searing hot attic apartment. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Ben Carey. And he writes stories such as the Unorthodox Farming Series. Hi, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Is it Ben or Benjamin?
0: It's Benjamin professionally, but Ben just with friends. Like, <laughs> no one takes a, a writer named Ben seriously. Just like, what what the heck does this guy know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean like Ben dared done that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So no one takes a writer named Ben seriously.
1: Uh, okay. Ah. Oh. So, tell me, you have a lot of stories you could talk about. Which stories do you want to talk about?
0: Well, I've got three series currently I'm writing. I've got Unorthodox Farming, The Vampire Vincent, and I've got mm-hmm. The First Line in Defense, which is going to Travis in a couple of weeks. Travis Baldry to record. Yeah.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah. I kind of like accidentally stumbled into working with like the best narrator
1: there is. Okay, I gotta send you something. <laughs> I don't know if I have this picture anywhere anymore, but I don't. So I made this meme of this weightlifter lifting like this huge ass rock, completely like sweating, you know, like yeah. the neck is part of the body and he's like lifting it up and there's like a guy in the background going like, whoa, whoa. Yep. And I labeled the guy in the background like the lit RPG community. I labeled the guy Travis <laughs> Baldwin. And I labeled the stone standard quality Royal Road Royal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair.
0: That's fair. That's fair.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what it yep. is. My only regret writing a female MC is that I can't get Travis Baldry to read my story.
0: Hey, he does very good female characters, but not for the whole
1: book. Absolutely. Yeah. Not for the whole not book. Not for the whole book, no, so. No, absolutely not. But I'm really thinking about it. I mean, if I'm putting myself out there, right? Like, if I'm putting myself off field with a sci-fi story and a female protagonist, which immediately gives me, like, minus 50% followers from the start, might as well get a British narrator. Why not? Mm-hmm.
0: I was almost going to say, like, minus 80%, but sure.
1: Ben, might I call you Yeah, ben? yeah, go ahead. Unbreak my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you stab me so?
0: I say this because I wrote sci-fi too, knowing that I was going to lose, like, immediately half the audience just because it was sci-fi.
1: God damn it. You know what? <laughs> I'm just not going to market it as sci-fi. I'm, like... Yeah, it has tech in it, Mm -hmm. but most of it plays in these like really weird kind of like fantasy lands. So everything's
0: just set up an isekai scene for the first chapter. He gets isekai into a sci fi world, and then you're good. You're good.
1: Okay, so I rarely see that, and I want to read that (laughs) isekai into a sci fi world. Matt Dinneman teased that, yeah, where where he said all the nuller episodes of dungeon world are with like robots and lasers holy shit man yeah i can forgive you for the first book and the scene with the spanish (laughs) i might even i might even forgive you for the end of book five but i will never forgive you for not writing that story with robots and lasers
0: (laughs) i i wanted to write a weird sci-fi story a couple of years back Mm -hmm. and like, I just had this idea one day. I was like, if you took someone from like middle Roman times, so like 580 or 380, and you mm-hmm. pop them in the modern day world, and you were just like, you're an average guy yeah. off the street. You would now work at a convenience store. That guy would be so happy. He would have modern day health oh, yeah. He would be able to get around in cars. He'd be able to go all over the planet. The food would be so much better. It would blow his mind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. What if we did the same thing with someone from our world and you just dropped them in the middle of an alien civilization? What if he's got like this giant spaceship that's like 200 meters long and he's like living in it, but he's literally working at a convenience store. And he thinks he's like the coolest person ever because he's going all over the universe, like doing quests and stuff. But the quests are really like, find my cat. I left my cat on this like horrible monster planet. Go find it for me.
1: Did you write that? No,
0: I didn't. But I just thought it was really funny. Like the guy. This is the second time you're breaking my heart in this (laughs) podcast. Like this guy being like really excited about how cool his life is. And then every so often you get chapters from his boss and his boss's wife, like nudging the boss being like, honey, he's living in his car. You really need to pay him more. (laughs) It's like, it's a secondhand beat up (laughs) 400 year old car. And he's living in there. Oh god! And, oh god! And it's like this looks real bad.
1: It doesn't even have. It doesn't even have a 5D projector. It
0: can't even op- open wormholes. He has to travel at FTL. Uh, uh, oh my god!
1: Oh please write that. Yeah. Oh, we should write this together. Yeah. Oh. Oh man. Yeah. Oh
0: like that that was a straight sci-fi no lit rpg idea
1: but it's good yeah
0: so yeah so the new series is first line of defense and that's off to, off mm-hmm. the trip terris that is a i don't know what to call it it's kind of like a sci-fi apocalypse lit rpg game lit. it's everything <sighs> okay so Chapter one starts with Earth is invaded by aliens. And I'm a big like, proponent of the idea that like if aliens ever find us, they're going to be so technologically advanced there is zero chance of fighting back. And so it's like mm-hmm. they invade Earth. Second two, they've conquered Earth. Second three, they've killed the people they need to kill and they're just trying to calm everyone down. <laughs> And yeah, so like it's a two second invasion. Everything's done. The whole planet is subjugated. And so these aliens come in and they're the peacekeepers and they have a thing called the collective, which is all the aliens they have subjugated. And everyone that they've subjugated has to play this thing called the game. And the game is basically a galaxy they've set aside for all these alien races to interact through and play this game and win tokens Mm -hmm. and basically you can buy anything with tokens. You want to be younger? Tokens. You want a giant flying spaceship? Tokens. Technically, actually, I probably won't say that. That would be spoilers, but you can buy practically anything with tokens. And when I mean anything, I mean, almost anything,
1: anything you can't buy horrors beyond human
0: comprehension. Yeah, because like, these guys aren't evil and they're trying to do a net good. But the thing is that like, the way biology develops and spreads out across the universe, what is good and evil for one species isn't good and evil for another. I remember hearing the story about a book and in this book, there was an alien species that practiced active cannibalism. And the reason why is because they were like a fish type species and when they had children, they had them in the tens of millions. So once they became a sentient race and like able to adapt to their environment and everything, their children survived to a like, much higher degree because they were able to kill all the predators in their environment. So while they were evolving, developed like this taste for their own children to keep their own population numbers down. So that basically like they couldn't eat all themselves to death. And it's like, that mm. sounds horrible, but they go through like a tadpole stage. So they change each stage. So they're not sentient when they're eating them. And I really mm. liked that idea. So all the different like races in this book, some of them can relate to humanity. There's like 87 species that humanity can relate to in the universe and we can kind of like coexist, but there are species out there that are just like hardwired biologically to kill everything around them that's not them because they had like such harsh environments on their planet so it's like we can't ever interact with a species like that in person anyway that's a tangent so okay. i'll go back to the short version of this story okay. so earth is invaded earth is conquered, and earth is basically thrown into this giant game and this game is a galaxy with robot avatars that are set up where we each get a like robot to control And you have to level and build up your faction. And the main character is a guy called Morgan Bartholomew Winchester, and he gets set up as a station master because he is the highest ranked tower defense player on the planet. (laughs) And, And so a station is basically a space station in space surrounded by a bunch of stargates or wormholes. And so different sectors of space, if like one alien sector wants to invade another alien sector has to come through this like transit junction. And it's his station's job to shoot everything. That's not a human ship. And so he is the first line of defense for humanity. Nice. Yeah.
1: Huh? Pretty cool.
0: So that's the series is different because it's going to be written in groups of trilogies and the first book's always from Morgan's perspective then the second book is from a new POV ca- character's perspective. And then we'll have some chapters from okay. Morgan's. The third book is from a new POV character's perspective and then have chapters from the other two. And then when I start the second okay. trilogy, the first book would just be from Morgan and I'll drop the other two characters with POVs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that was pretty cool. It oh.
0: It's weird. It's different. And <laughs> it's nothing like what I planned when I started writing the book.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you're more of a Amazon slash Kindle. You have more of an audience there, right? Yeah, yeah. Than on Royal Road. Mm. Because I think on Royal Road especially, people come to Royal Road to just shut up their brain and relax. And I think that's, that's valid. Yeah. So people don't like changing POVs because if you want to go into smooth brain mode, yeah. it's very hard to kind of like do this jump. Yeah. And I ended up on Royal Road by accident. Like, complete and utter accident. Yeah, of course. It's, it's what everyone says. No, 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 no. Same thing
0: with Scribble Hub? No, no, because I put Unorthodox Farming up there, like the first 20 chapters. Because mm-hmm. I had a friend mm-hmm. tell me, like, he loved the book, but he's like, you've got something wrong at the beginning. And we talked for like three hours about this, and we couldn't work out what was wrong. And I just remembered there was this weird site I'd been on for Dungeon Crawler Cow. And I was reading the chapters on there. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could throw like these 20 chapters up and get some feedback and see if anyone could like diagnose my problem. And so I did that and it kind of like took off like crazily. So I put the first chapter up. I didn't even know that it would go live the moment it got approved. And so I came back the next day.
1: Yeah, no one does.
0: I came back the next day and it was like 250 people had read the first chapter. And I was like, I was expecting a hundred people mm. over like the entire month. And I was expecting that as like high numbers. And so I was like, Oh, I wasn't ready for this. I should finish editing. So I edited like three chapters and threw them up and came back the next day. I'm like, Oh, another 300 people read this. So there's now like 500 people reading this. I was like, Oh, okay. Mm. And cause I knew nothing about Royal road, except for the fact that Crawler Carl was on there and I could read like Ford. And that was all I cared about. And so I just like kept adding a few chapters every day because that was how fast I was editing. I was staying in a friend's place and hanging out and never planned any of this. And it just sort of kept expanding until I like got to 10 chapters and over a thousand people had like read it. And the 10 chapters was like day three. And I just felt terrible at that point. Cause I was like, a thousand people have read this and I was going to like cut it off at 10 chapters because I was like, yeah. that's enough to diagnose the problem. Then, and I was okay with being a dick to like a hundred people, but then it was a thousand people. I was like, I'm going to be such a dick if I cut the story here. This is like the most <laughs> horrible place to stop the story. I was like, this gives no closure or anything. I was like, w- where's the soonest I can cut it off. I was like chapter 20. Okay. so. I added everything up to chapter 20 and I was like, this is cool. We'll leave it. And all these other people on Royal road who actually knew what they were doing, who had started reading it were like yelling at me about why don't I have Patreon set up? Why am I dropping all these chapters all at once instead of spreading them out over hours? Why am I doing all these stupid things? You gotta understand for the first Mm -hmm. 10 days I had, no clue how Royal Road worked. I didn't know that anyone made a living on Royal Road through Patreon or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I truly thought Royal Road was the most amazing site ever for for people who no one knew about to ac- actually get this stuff seen. I assumed this was like slightly higher than normal, but like reasonably normal until people started yelling at me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And. So so it was about 10 days in and I was like, ah, oh, so this isn't normal. Oh, no wonder they're angry. Oh, okay. Because by that stage, I'd had like three or 3,000 readers or something like that. It was nuts. Jesus. Followers? Nah, readers. Like, people would read every chapter.
1: But I'm looking at it right now. You are sitting on 1,212 followers yep. on a story that hasn't gotten updates for 11 months. Mm. So... <laughs> I think a good good. Yeah.
0: It was an amazing start.
1: Do you ever, ever look at your ratings?
0: No, not for that one. Cause I okay, peeved off good. so many people when I told them I wasn't putting the book up. Cause I had no clue what Royal road was at the time. I didn't know everyone expected you to put the whole story up. I was like, I'm going to Amazon. I just need some people to help me work out what's wrong with the beginning of the book.
1: Oh my God. Okay, so actually I've been thinking about this for when I saw like the comments like a while ago before I even contacted you. Because I also like to actually finish a book and then put it out. Yep. I have so many plot holes. There's so been...
0: many in first drafts and second drafts and third drafts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes eight
1: drafts. I have literally 30% of my story are stuff that I would cut yep. if I were to write this for pub. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still good. Yeah. So the way that I found, or that I want to try, so I'm going to like release the first book. I'm going to finish it, and then I'm going to take a little while, edit it, and relaunch it. Yeah. In August. Okay. And when I'm done with that, if I'm if I'm hitting rising stars, I want to see if I can find a publisher for this.
0: Fair enough. Go through Atheon.
1: So. Yeah. Atheon is good. Or you
0: want to go traditional traditional?
1: Nah, I don't really think traditional publishers appreciate lit RPG to the extent that they would give me a good deal and also be able to market it in a way that makes my book successful. So maybe I'll, I'll do Atheon, maybe I'll do Portal, maybe I'll do Tantor, I don't know, right? I'm doing a spin-off, a spin-off series right now that you don't know about, that no one knows about yet it's called crit rpg pub crawl yeah where i contact all the public publishers and we're just talking and hey what are you like who are you as a person yeah what are you looking for in terms of submissions and what is your collection like for people who want to read more and also like how does your process look and stuff like that? oh let's go that's, cool. that's um, very So good. it's really for authors to kind of like get to know people and it's for the publishers to present themselves to authors as good business partners. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to tell you more about it in, uh, after that.
0: I will point out for the trad pubs, like the traditional ones, Orbit is now looking, well, at least one of their editors is looking for lit RPG.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is just crazy. Yeah. It, it means we're not mainstream, but we're slowly creeping that yeah. way. We're like a Steampunk yeah. back in the day before people were like, oh, that's a thing. I like this.
1: But then you kind of look at their offers. Yeah. And so Selkie Myth. Reached out to them and was like, hey, make me an offer. Selkie myth. And they never even got back to them. Yeah. So yes, they are saying they're looking, but did you also see that they misnamed Dungeon Crawler Card? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I did. So this is my personal feeling and I don't want to insult anyone, but I would very much encourage big publishers like Orbit. If you're coming into our playground, play by our rules yeah right. So traditional publishers they give you a large advance, maybe. but at the same time, they also give you maybe 25, maybe twenty maybe if you're good 30 percent revenue share. Oh no,
0: way lower than that.
1: where or way lower than yeah. that yeah. but publishers like Atheon, for example, or I'm not gonna connect like any numbers to anyone yeah. but I know for a fact that it is very standard to get up to 70, 75% yeah. revenue share yeah, with an advance that you can live off of for half a year. Yeah, I'm not the kind of person who's to say, oh, that seems like a money grab, but it is clear that the bigger publishers don't really understand the rules of the game they're trying to get into, and they're trying to take advantage of people who don't know better
0: uh, uh. and to... Uh. I'll come to their defense of this, their model is completely different than the lit RPG model, like for Mm -hmm. lit RPG writers, it's either Patreon followers that pay your bills, or it is ebook and KU sales, which pay your bills. If you're publishing on Amazon, KU Kindle Unlimited is 80% of your sales in ebook. That's pretty much normal across the board. So. Kindle Unlimited just isn't open to trade like traditional publishers, the big ones. And so, mm-hmm. if we go their route, they're really pushing paperback and hardback, and that's something we've got zero sales in. In like in literature, oh, like yeah, that's true. paperback hardback makes makes up less than one percent of my sales. And by like, yeah. Matt Dinerman, I think is sitting why... at three. And or four, and he's one of the big ones, and that's a huge percentage compared to everyone else. And I just think like
1: you read lit RPG on KU, period. You read lit RPG on your Kindle or online or in Royal Road. It's kind of like you know, you eat sushi with chopsticks, yeah. you don't eat it with a fork. Yeah, it, and trying to change that is kind of like you know, it is telling people to like, hey, buy this hardcover book for my isekai lit rpg is kind of like telling people hey go and eat sushi with your fork it does however give you access to a broad market of fantasy readers who don't know what an isekai or yeah. lit rpg is but who read it anyway if it's good
0: well it's also one of those <laughs> things that like they're really two different markets we're really lucky with lit rpg that like the genre came into existence when it did it really only came into western culture sort of 2014, at the earliest, is like a legitimate thing. Whereas you look at Korea and China and Japan, and Korea's been doing it since about 2005. Japan's been doing it since about 2005. And because of this, they're yeah. almost 10 years ahead of us in growth. From what I've heard in Korea, like lit RPG and fantasy are almost identical, like same size markets. Right now, lit RPG is like five percent of the fantasy market. Maybe yeah, I think Maxime. I was about to say maybe, maybe. Shirtaloons caught ten percent of the market.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if you look at Podium Audio's website, yeah. they are promoting themselves to authors with two big books. Yeah. One's The Martian. Yeah. The other one's He Who Fights with Monsters. Yeah. Right. So seriously,
0: just... they're the ones that did The Martian. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, that's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. so lost between of thought. I think Maxime said that we're miles or Maxime. I I'm, don't I'm quite know. I'm quite, I'm quite, we are 10 years behind the Japanese and Korean market when it comes to lit RPG. Oh, okay, so um, so, so, can, so they you agreed, can, with you can kind of. Yeah, they they agree with you, and they said you can kind of predict the growth. Yeah. according to that line. Yeah,
0: well, it's look at um, how widespread video games are, and oh yeah, as like the population's getting older and how uh, like ingrained video games are, it becomes more and more common that it will enter into other aspects and entering it into your storytelling is very very simple, because it's so relatable now. Yeah. Whereas you go back yeah, totally. go back twenty years, it was not relatable twenty years ago.
1: In a meta sense, lit RPGs, yes, they are often connected to video games, but in a sense, they have nothing to do with video games because they are literally the old dopamine collection spiral.
0: I will agree with you in Like Lit RPG has nothing to do with video games in the sense that the stories are not related to video games most of the time. Yeah. But the relation to video games comes in the structure that video games gave us the structured yes, progress yes, yes. that has over time sort of turned into a universal language that we all understand leveling up means this skills mean this get min maxing means this and these things have come into our storytelling because everyone's like well I really want to explain this complex magical system but I don't want to spend 2,000 words doing it. How can I do it simply? And the first person who was like, I know what, I'm just going to put a video game stat block in a book was a freaking genius in my mind. That guy was like, this will make things so much simpler. And
1: I, I think I was just
0: going to say, we know for a fact that first book that was lit up was truly terrible. It was God awful. But that idea that came out of that terrible book is just like spawned so much joy. (laughs)
1: It is known. All first lit RPGs have to be bad. Oh, yeah. So, one thing, though, and I'm going to upset a lot of people with this, but you may consider lit RPG the modern young generation's dime novel. Dime novel? Dime novels. Uh, You know those paperback novels you can find at the translation? Most of them are romance or crime. Yeah. In German, they're called Groschenromane so right you can buy a lot of them you can chuck through them and you know what feelings you're going to get when you read them Mm. so take that how you will and of course there's always assholes like matt deniman (laughs) who ruin it for everyone by making me feel feelings in my lit rpgs yeah matt
0: that is the goal that is the goal you want to make your reader be like ah this is fun this is fun this is why do i question all that's good and holy in this world
1: do you do you really yeah because i do but i don't want to read it (laughs) like you don't get it i do pain to others i don't get pain
0: (laughs) no 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 this is what fuels you to be a writer you read someone else's work it absolutely crushes you Like, emotionally. Like, I can say with all fairness, the movie Bridge to Derabithia, I will never get over that movie. I am still heartbroken to this day. I was sitting there watching a terrible movie, in my opinion, and then I get blindsided by, like, one of the most painful endings I've ever watched.
1: I had the same thing with Gideon the Ninth. I thought it was a completely standard and forgettable novel. And I'm still thinking about it for five years later. Yeah. Tamsin Moore. Yeah. So you're saying it's a cycle of hatred. Oh
0: yeah. Someone did this to you. So you're trying to get good enough at writing to do it back to them. And if all this like collateral damage happens at the same time and these other million people see it and read it and feel the same feelings, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because you just need to get back at that one person.
1: I have such high hopes for humanity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the life of an artist.
1: Yes. Yeah. It is to make other people feel feelings and most of them are pain. <laughs> okay. I mean, like I I would love to say I'm not like that, but torchbearer is not a fun story. <laughs> well, it is fun, but it isn't funny. Yeah. Well, it depends anyhow. Well, I think we've talked about a lot of stuff already, but I need to ask you what's the best advice you've gotten as a writer?
0: Oh. So I love this question, and we have to go through it in stages. Okay.
1: Oh, okay, because this podcast isn't already one hour and thirty minutes recording. No, 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 no. So, like, <laughs> this is one of these bland
0: questions that nobody thinks about too much, and isn't helpful mm-hmm. until you actually go into more depth. So, mm-hmm. okay, go ahead. When I first wanted to be a professional writer and make my living that way, the question you just asked is what was the best advice I ever got and at that stage the best advice I ever got was if you can quit writing and live a happy life and a fulfilling life go do that if nothing changes you're just as happy stay that don't write because writing and making a living as a writer is one of the hardest things in the world and so few of us ever get there That if you do not have the drive of someone who's like, I cannot do anything else about this, you're not going to achieve it. So my first advice is quit. And if you live a happy life, having quit, do that because there's way easier ways to be happy in the world, being a writer. But if you quit and you're Mm -hmm. unhappy, you're grumpy, you're grouchy, you want to do some writing and you're not allowed to do writing because that's part of quitting then you have to start thinking about, okay, maybe I don't function well without writing. And this is who I am. Mm.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how you started writing, I think a bit earlier, and that can be found on our Patreon. So click the link below and please join our Patreon. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, that's the first stage. That's when you want to go professional. If you want to be a hobby writer, what's the best advice I can give to you? and you just want to do it for fun, have fun. Don't care about what anyone else wants, just have fun. You don't have to tell a story that makes sense as long as you have fun writing it. Unless you want your story to be like read by other people, then probably start putting in a plot and make everything coherent. (laughs) Okay. But now now we'll go to the question of you've decided that you actually want to be a professional writer. What's the best advice I ever got? Mm -hmm. My best advice is write throwaway novels. You learn more Mm -hmm. by writing than you do by studying writing. And one of the big things is that most people that want to be a writer do not finish their first book. So if you go write a bad first book that no one's ever going to read, you're already basically ahead of 99% of people. If you can sit there and keep your butt in a chair for writing a hundred thousand words, With no reward at the end, except for that book, you've probably got what it takes to be a writer. It's all self-motivated. True. And that's one of the hardest things to do with being a writer is everything is self-motivation. If you don't get joy from simply writing, it's so hard to do. Like if I was not happy to wake up every morning and like stroll out to my office with a cup of coffee, half asleep, ready to start my day and wanting to write. It would be a
1: horrible, horrible job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The moments where you feel like you don't want to write are the worst. Yeah. And it's mostly because you've written yourself in a corner, you don't even know it yeah. yet. Yeah. But that being said, if you get addicted to that feeling of writing something and feeling like you just wrote like the next five commandments, <laughs> even though like if, when you give it to someone else, they're going to be like, it's okay, and then you're crushed. That's all part of the thing. Very good advice. Mm. Very, very good advice.
0: And the last bit of advice I would say that's very useful is try to be better writers today than you were yesterday. And be okay with being worse yesterday. Because one of the hardest things that will stop you from improving is accepting you can suck at writing certain aspects of like character or setting or scene. And if you get crushed every time someone reads something else and goes, this is terrible. Instead of thinking, oh, okay, this is terrible. What parts of this is terrible? Okay. You can't envision where I've put this character. I need to fix this scene setting description. You should be excited mm-hmm. anytime someone goes, this is terrible for this reason as a writer, because yep. it means you could improve. Absolutely. And if you instead look at that, it's like, oh my God, everyone thinks I'm a horrible person. Everyone thinks I suck. I need to quit all things. Like, writing might not be for you. (laughs) Or you need to work on that because it's a big part of being a writer is actually letting people read your work. And Mm -hmm. the horrible part of being a professional writer is you have to actively let people read your stuff before it's good. Because the only way to get it to that good stage is to let people read it and go, oh, you were trying to do this with this chapter, but I couldn't envision that. So you need to fix this. And so you've got someone who's going, you suck at this. And if you can't accept that and just move on, it's really going to (laughs) suck.
1: The idea is to remove your ego from the product that you're putting out. Right? So accept that once you've written it, it is no longer a part of you. Mm. And that's okay. That's actually very good. And one thing I want to add on top of your advice, which I think is amazing, if you look at the stuff you've written yesterday and like, go, I need to do this better and this better and this better, that means you know how to do better. Mm. You're not the person you were yesterday. You're the person you are today. And if that person knows how to do good work or how to make work better then that's a good thing that's all I'm going to say about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) hold on I got one more thing I was going to say actually I've got one other point I want to bring up so once you're starting to get to that professional stage there are a couple of things that you can do to really improve yourself and one of them is to take your favorite book with excellent prose and take the most hard-hitting emotional scene or the most descriptive scene or the most character driven scene and type those out word for word into your word file. And the reason you do this is because your brain can't differentiate between you doing this copying of these words and these words actually coming from you. And what it does is it teaches your brain how to write better prose. And it's an actual Mm -hmm. shortcut to moving up how you use language.
1: And like how you improve. It seems so boring, but it's such good advice. Yeah. And it's
0: similar to doing... like I think it scales on a
1: piano. Oh, yeah. Totally. We talked about knowing today what you didn't know yesterday. Or what is one thing you would like to go back on and change in one of your earlier novels that maybe people have read already?
0: Oh. So, that's a hard one. Because I don't think I'd want to change... Like unorthodox farming at all. Vampire Vincent's only been out for like a month a bit, so I haven't really felt like that needs changing yet.
1: Do you want to talk about what what Vampire Vincent is about?
0: Oh, okay. So Most of what I write is isekai. I quite like isekai. The reason why Mm -hmm. is I like pop culture jokes and I'm funnier with pop culture jokes, (laughs) and if you take them away from me I'm not half as funny. And so I need them. So every character in a fantasy world has to be isekai but Vampire Vincent is the story of basically what happens if you gave Dracula powers to a hero. So, Ooh. Vincent is a guy who got summoned to another world by a cult vampire these. and after being summoned, they summoned a demon and basically sacrificed him to the demon in order to become vampires. And part of the sacrifice turned him into a demon, so no, into a demon, into a vampire. So that's sort of the pre-establishment of the story. And so you start with the prologue and Vincent's been sitting in a cell for the last 33 days as a vampire and a group of young adventurers, are traipsing through the sewers to go and find out what's causing all this evil org that's going around. And so Vincent helps them kill the vampires who created them and then gets trapped in this room as the last survivor and goes to sleep in a coffin. And by this point, he has sort of made peace with the fact that he's a vampire and he's also made peace with being a vampire only because he's found out from the cleric in the party that you can actually remove vampirism. And so, he has decided he would like to live. And so once he gets out of the coffin, he's planning to go find himself a cleric and turn into a human again. Anyway, he mm-hmm. wakes up 10 years later. And oh, yeah, no. and he had eaten all the other vampires that like had turned him. And in the process of eating all the other vampires and the dark creature they did, he has ascended to becoming what's called an ancient vampire, which is basically Dracula from Van Housen.
1: No. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's the movie the anime or the book. okay okay the movie yeah, okay. yeah
0: except you can walk in sunlight too and so does he glitter oh n- not n- he, glitter. N- n- he glitters Did no you he no, glitters? no no not in book one spoilers for book two
1: you heard it here first people he glitters
0: yeah, yeah. so i've thrown every like vampire cliche i can at vincent as a joke and it's a lot of fun
1: and what's something you would change in there oh because you said like that's something or a book that you might want to change
0: like the only thing i probably there's nothing i really want to change because the book's good i just wish i could have made it like 20 30 000 words longer without destroying the story
1: many men wish for
0: that <laughs> 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 yeah um That was so good. (laughs) Yeah, how to describe? So, like as a character, he's actually a vampire. He's a monster. He is the sound of people screaming sounds like music to him. The like he doesn't feel empathy for anyone. Things that Mm -hmm. he knows are wrong, he has no emotional reaction to. And some things that he knows are wrong actually excite him and interest him. And if he didn't remember how good of a person he was before becoming a vampire, he'd be utter monster. So anyway, he goes to sleep for 10 years and he is woken up by his son. And his son has also been Isakai to this world. And so the strapping young hero adventurer that is coming to kill the big bad evil that's been basically turning all the forest to like this petrified forest above where Vincent's sleeping. No. This is his son with his <laughs> son's band of like adventuring party. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And, like, so he gets woken up, sensing he's in danger. And, like, the first thing his son says to him, and his son's, like, 10 years older at this point, is, Dad, are you a fucking vampire? And his response is, don't swear, son.
1: (laughs) Don't swear, son. (laughs) Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. So what you're left with Ah. is, is he finds out that his... Son, his wife, and his daughter were all succoured to this world as well, and they're all heroes in different places. And him and his son were the two that are physically closest to each other. And so, the only thing—wait,
1: who's who? All got, is it, his sorry? wife,
0: his son, and his daughter? And so all three.
1: Oh, I know someone who's going to love your yeah, story.
0: So they're all heroes in different like kingdoms, and so the only people he cares about in this entire planet is like this ancient vampire. It's his family. They're the only people he can love. They're the only people he can show interest in. And you see him going around with his son and his son is not trusting of his father at all because he's a veteran hero at the stage and he knows how dangerous he is. And so he doesn't actually trust him. And it's this really cool story of them sort of catching up and getting to know each other and Vincent trying to understand what his son wants in life. And his son wants to be a hero. His son wants to continue doing good. But the problem is, is that Vincent's still got some of his personality. And he wants grandchildren. And so for his son to <laughs> settle down and have a wife implies that the world has to be safe from disaster and he can't be a hero anymore. And so with like the mindless devotion of a Dracula-type character... He just decides, okay, I'm going to kill every monster in this world. and I'm going to make this world safe so I can have grandchildren.
1: Oh, no. And then it's, it's, the, it's the Batman problem, right? <laughs> what? You know, the Batman problem of like, if you kill a killer, the amount of killers remains the same.
0: But then you got <laughs> the Punisher problem. Yeah, well, that's why you don't yeah. stop at one. And that's Vincent's like, yeah. solution. I'll just kill them all.
1: Uh, then I think that pool was like just kill too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, I mean that's a really freaking good story. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But you ruined my segment, Ben. I'm oh, sorry. Now it's fine. It's the third time you stabbed me in the heart. Mm. I'm beginning to think you don't like me. Well. But that's okay. You can just you can just go and be friends with Travis Baldry instead.
0: <laughs> nah I'm more like a super fan of his oh yeah i mean who isn't that man has so much talent it's scary travis
1: baldree is the idris Elba of lit rpg
0: oh yeah i'll give him that like i've always been impressed by the fact that he's award-winning narrator and that before that he was a what was it a award-winning game developer now he's a freaking new york times yeah. best-selling author as well
1: and maybe like you know tuesday he'll cure cancer because why wouldn't he?
0: yeah because it's like it's tuesday and he's <sighs> bored
1: the only thing I'm really happy about is that he did not read on Dungeon Crawler Carl because I think the world might legit explode.
0: Well, I, in all fairness, I think that Jeff Hayes did, like, the most amazing job.
1: Don't say that because I might listen to it and the world might still explode. Hi, Jeff, if you're listening to this, Ben, you're doing an amazing job. I saw the live recording and, oh my god. Yeah.
0: Like, his voice for how... So one of the things I think that works really, really well with narrators is if the narrator's um, way of reading matches the cadence of the author's writing. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at like dungeon crawler Cal, I think the cadence of like Matt's writing and Jeff Hayes narrating basically sync up perfectly. And because of that, like just. Skill and the experience that it creates is absolutely f- fantastic, and so it's like it's one of those things. It's like those two together created something that's absolutely amazing. And I think if you put another narrator and that was just as good, it might not create something that was just as amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean that's true. We spoke about it before the show a little bit or earlier. It's been it's been two hours. <laughs> it's fine.
0: So I'll just add something to what I was saying. A simple way to explain that is cover artists like when another singer sings someone else's song and it just they have just as much talent but it doesn't fall the same way
1: we were talking about narrators and fitting and that for example travis baldry wouldn't be a good choice for a story like journey of black and red the way i would describe your novel i'm looking at it by the way right now of course you have 4.8 fucking stars on amazon what the f- fridge ben yeah Man, that's good. Man. I will officially give you a pat on the back for that because I know how authors work Mm -hmm. and you're always like, yeah, it's it's kind of okay. I mean, it could have been 4.9 so I'm going to die in my bed and cry a lot.
0: I had that on Vampire Vincent up to 400 uh, ratings.
1: I was so
0: ecstatic. I was like, if this carries on, I don't know how...
1: It's at 1,500 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, people... Vampire Vincent. You should go and read to it. It's called Death, Loot, and Vampires. Mo- the way I would have described it...
0: Most hmm? people enjoy it more than they enjoyed unorthodox farming.
1: That's impossible. Stop lying.
0: Mm, I enjoy it more.
1: <laughs> Heresy! <laughs> I'm going to have to report you to it <laughs> No, wait. Wait, what? Alright. The way I would have described it from what you said is... A Journey of Vanker, the Vampire, and his family. (laughs) Vanker? Vanker Vanker, the Dragon is one of the Void Herald books.
0: I love Vanker the Dragon. The first book especially.
1: Yeah. Uh, But actually, that brings me to the second to last part. What's a book that you love and why is it awesome? And it can be any book.
0: Oh, Drizen Files. I am... Yeah, yeah, I am absolute lunatic for The Risen Files. Harry as a character is just absolutely awesome. He is a hero, yes. but he is a person. And every so often, like, when he suffers from something, he really suffers. And he also asks the hard questions with himself about what is the right use of power? Why is power important? Mm-hmm. And, like, Jim Butcher's writing just for this character is absolutely brilliant and basically informs every heroic character I will ever write uh,
1: I mean that's a high praise
0: and probably here's the one thing that Jim butcher taught me that pretty much all lit RPG writers out there have to understand power has purpose any power that ever existed always had a purpose so when you make a nuke you're making a nuke to either shoot it at someone or or stop someone from shooting a nook at you. When you make a gun, you're making oh, yeah. it for a reason. All this power has a purpose. And a lot of lit RPG yes. writers out there will write scenes where people get power or where worlds get power or everything without a purpose.
1: I don't quite understand. It's like all lit RPG powers have a purpose. They get you laid. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <gasps> Hey! Shout out to harem novels. <laughs> I read harem novels sometimes. I will admit to that. I don't. That's okay. That everyone has like, so 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 harem harem novels, are, romance, for straight yeah. dudes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a straight dude, but still, probably
0: not romance. Like it's definitely the the far side of steamy for romance.
1: I mean, okay, okay, okay. Which is another reason why I wanna to talk to you about this band novel that I'm writing because yeah. you know what? I'm not gonna talk to you anymore about <laughs> it. I'm just gonna convince you by writing it and smashing you on KU. All
0: good. I wish you the best.
1: Yeah. No, like I'm super excited about it because it's a coming of age novel and it's mostly about People connecting with their true desires and being who they really want to be. That's true. I think that's, yeah. Like, I understand you when you say, and this is another segue again. Most of the stories are numbers go up, period. Yeah. And that's that's all you need for a good Isekai. Numbers go up, good action scenes, funny side character and boobs. That's all you need.
0: Well, well that's not what you need. Like That used to be all you needed. And we've now read yeah. so much of that it doesn't do anywhere near as good as it used to. But which is why which is why I brought up the whole idea of you've gotta understand that like power has purpose.
1: Yeah. You can read fifteen different of these and they're all very good and they have like more than that. Yeah. So the market is becoming saturated yeah. for sure. Well But that being said if you write something like a little RPG, you have to write your first little r- lit RPG however the fuck you want. Write it, put it out, see if it does well, see if you can hit Rising Stars, see if you can hit Patreon. And if you don't, write another one. Don't do the entire series with like thousand followers. It makes no sense unless you're really just doing it for fun, like you yeah. said, Ben. But if you want to really reach that next level, it is my true belief, that the next evolutionary stage of lit RPG are, and this, this may sound funny to anyone who's coming in from, like, Trap Publishing, well-rounded characters. Mm. Believable, well-rounded characters. I know Travis is doing his fucking best with Jason. I think Dinaman is doing amazingly. Mm. Zogarth and, who's the guy who writes Randall Go Sound again? Oh, I don't First Defiler, two. They are okay with being self-inserts and they set it themselves. And I think that's 100% true, but they have that market. Hmm. If you want to be great out there and reach that level, the next person who gets to that level with a series is going to be a guy or a girl who writes a well-rounded character. I promise you that.
0: And if you want to do that, read widely in the genre that you're writing in. Yes, you, it's, it's way easier to learn from other people's mistakes than it is to learn from your own
1: yes um, because you can be a little bit condescending it doesn't hurt as much
0: <laughs> yes a little bit
1: the thing that you want is to not just read that i mean read good literature in general right Read... This is how you lose a time war. Read the Rothfuss novels, even though they will never be finished. Read Game of Thrones.
0: There, there was an announcement, I think, for it coming out at the end of the year.
1: April 1st was already. Oh. A, actually, you serious.
0: Uh, yeah, my brother sent me a link.
1: Is it going to be, like, the length... Is it going to be so much paper that you can kill someone with it?
0: Probably. Give me a second. Because, like... The Doors of Stone... I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it's an important tangent. Some of us have been waiting a decade. All of us? Oh, sorry. It's the
1: n- Patrick Rothfuss. It's
0: the narrow road, narrow road between desires. Yes.
1: Oh man, that could be a Patrick Rothfuss quote. Ooh, nice. Also, by the way, did you know that your quote on unorthodox farming about killing people? You know the thing Arnold he is first on the battlefield. Look to
0: me on my dying day, and I will show you the truth of my heart. Exactly. Yep.
1: Yeah. That regularly comes up on Reddit when people ask like for great lit like, RPG quotes. Yeah.
0: That's very cool.
1: Don't need to act so humble about it. <laughs> well, like I would be really like
0: proud of it if I was like oh, I spent like painstaking two days over this. And what really happened was I was writing that scene and he it, like came to him looking at everything that's going on and I was just like okay, the other guy steps up and he's like, and he says this. And I was like, this sums it up all, everything that's happening here in poetry. I was like, cool, carry on. And then I came back like half an hour later. I was like, holy shit, how did I write that? That's like way better than what I normally pull off. <laughs> how are you not proud of that? Uh, I'm proud of it because I could pull it off. I'm not proud of it because I don't know how to repeat it continuously. <laughs> That doesn't fucking
1: matter. (laughs) Hey. You you got to understand this. Like, you did that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't need to repeat it to have done it. I, I,
0: hey, I like it. And because I like it, I want to be able to do it on demand, but I can't do it on demand yet.
1: But if you could do it on demand, it would no longer be remarkable. But then you get an entire
0: name of the wind.
1: Yeah, and then you, and then I would have to wait like 20 fucking years for an Orthodox farming five. Thank you so much. <laughs> True. I True. forbid you from writing well, then. <laughs> forbid you. Well, actually, funnily
0: okay. enough, the best thing I've ever written I haven't published yet. It's a book called The Weight of Guilt, and it's a Newman fantasy novel. Ooh. And Ooh. I haven't finished this novel because when I got up to the end of it, I didn't have the skill to finish it. I was doing a writing course with a guy oh. called David Farlan. He wrote the Rune Lord series, but he was also oh. Brandon Sanderson's writing teacher. And so this is the Ooh. best thing I've ever written, and the prose are absolutely awesome. However, it's a 140,000-word novel, and I've spent over two years on it.
1: Close to two and a half. Yeah, yeah. How do you not forget all the plot
0: books? For that book or just everything in general?
1: In general? Like, you're writing three things in
0: parallel? Four? I've just got a brain for, like, holding a lot of data in my head all at once.
1: I used to be even... I would have joked and said...
0: I used to be better, and then I got a concussion. So this is me at, like, 70%. You...
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. You know you got nerfed by God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's what happened.
1: (laughs) Like, guys too OP. Gotta nerf him. Well... All right. So just one more fun fact. Patrick Rothfuss wants to write a fourth book, Out of Doors.
0: Oh, yeah, I know. He does. But, I mean, he's not going to. Well, he might. He might.
1: <laughs> Why? Are you going to make sure of it? I mean,
0: Look, we've all thought about going misery on Patrick Rothfuss at one time or another. But it's just logistically yeah. impossible. He's in America. I'm in New Zealand. He doesn't tour down here. <sighs>
1: Yeah. No, actually, with all the jokes aside, right, so I generally pity Pat Rothfuss. He's a writer who cares a lot about his stuff. Oh, yeah. And it is absolutely clear how agonized he must be writing. Yeah. yeah. Because he keeps writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, and that is not a place where you want to be mentally. Nah, nah. it's because rough. it is a place of, for some reason, this great guy who does a lot of a charity mm. and you're seeing him with his kid it's amazing and yet he has this perfectionist stream well
0: actually i do wonder like about whether or not it's Quoth, because Quoth is an emotionally and mentally unstable character and like i write methods so wow. i put myself in the head of my character writing arnold like two books of like unorthodox farming was really hard because i had to mm-hmm. put my head in the space of someone who isn't really like emotionally self-aware who is not self-aware at all and who has just dealt with one of the biggest most horrible things in his life and oh, yeah. i had to put myself in what i would feel in that situation how i would go about doing things and how how arnold would go about mm-hmm. doing things because he's not the same as me so i had to work out how i would do things and how yeah. he would do things and if patrick is doing the same oh, yeah. thing with quoth as that that's
1: brutal yes and also Patrick says stuff like, "Oh, sometimes I just take out a sentence because I like the meter and put it somewhere else." Yeah. You, my dude, you are writing a what is it, five hundred page, almost thousand yeah. page novel, yeah. and you care about the meter of one sentence? I mean, I love you for it, but mm. still, that's torture. No,
0: that's what I did for my urban fantasy. That's why it's like two and a half years, and and it shows, right? Yeah, writing quality. Better than everything I've done so far. Still not at Patrick Roth level. But I was like, if you gave me eight years, I think I could do that.
1: <laughs> and it's okay. Like, you know, I love Pat Rothfuss. Yeah. But to be honest, there's a reason why no one ever talks about a wise man's fear. Yeah. There is no plot. Yep. There is none. Yeah. Nothing's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Nothing's moving forward. There's no overarching uh, uh, thing. Yeah. We haven't even met a king. We don't know how he gets to be the king slayer yeah. if he doesn't even have as he met a king. Yeah. It's indubitably and I don't use this word lightly. One of the best books that's ever been written ever yeah. prose-wise. It rivals Goethe, it rivals Schiller, uh, the great poets, Poe. You name them, it rivals yeah. them. But from a from a storytelling perspective, yeah. it is stained glass. Yeah. Yeah. And not much else. That's the only problem I have with that book. If it had more of a motor, yeah. right, this would be the last book that would have ever have to be written. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Ah, anyway.
0: Well, the thing is, it's truly written as being the middle book in a series. And one of the things is that it's... it could become in a truly amazing book if we get book three. Maybe.
1: Maybe. Because I still think that, you know, in book two, he has this thing where like, oh, and then I got, I've talked about pirates, but I'm not going to talk about it. And people are like, what the fuck? That was genius. Yeah. That was so genius. Yeah. Because I swear to God, that guy wrote that story and just cut it. And
0: it was like, you know what? This is pointless. I could just cut that. Probably have this entire
1: story yeah. about like this pirate band, yeah. and there would be like this, these interesting nuances, yeah. and one of them would like knitting or whatever, yeah, yeah. and he would like go on adventures for like five years. But yeah, yeah. okay, Ben, shout outs. It's been nice knowing you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. I really think this podcast was totally worth it, <laughs> and if you're listening to this, my funeral song needs to be "Flow Together" by Masajiro Soken. Thank you. Good. Shout outs. Ooh. Give us shout outs. Okay, so normally you do this for Royal Road, right? I would love for it to be Royal Road because this is, you know, a podcast about Proc Fantasy, Lit RPG, and Royal Road.
0: So this is not a small story on Royal Road, but Arrogant wow. Young Master Variation D, I believe it is. Come again. Arrogant Young Master Variation D.
1: Oh, okay. Let me, let me, let me th- look at that. For a second, I thought you were going to say Merchant Crab i swear to god no
0: yeah so this is a fun really really weird isekai it is a cultivation lit RPG novel where a guy gets isekai to a cultivation world as an arrogant young master he knows he's the villain that all the heroes have to kill and he his arrogant young master like persona the guy that like, had his body before him, has made like hundreds and hundreds of enemies. And so, this guy has to figure out how he's going to deal with it. And it is, no offense to the writer, not the best written thing, but it's so entertaining.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got you.
0: Oh, sorry. Arrogant Young Master, Template A, Variation 4.
1: There we go. Yeah. I was Googling it. I think I'm going to shout out Ostensible Mammal and their story, Godclads. What? Yeah. What's it called? Sorry? Have you never... Ostensible Mammal is the is the author. Godclads. Oh, Godclads. It's a monster, monster MC slash eldritch slash cyberpunk slash progression
0: lit RPG. I heard goat claps. And I was like, what?
1: No. <laughs> I'm going to tell them that. Yeah. And now it's... How would I describe this? Gruesome. Oh, cool. So there's two kinds of writers on Royal Road, I found. Yep. There's one side that goes like, I'm not going to push out as many words as I can, and numbers go up. Mm-hmm. Which is great, because I love reading those, and they're entertaining. And then there's those agonized young people who write their one chapter a week and agonize over it for decades, and then put it out.
0: The problem with my people. Yeah. No, I don't.
1: I'm shout outs to Dragon of Rochester, for example. <laughs> but God Class is, is a second part of that. So it's been going on for a while. It's already pretty freaking huge. It has like 1.6 million views, 5,000 followers. But it is very, 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 very good. It is... I don't want to like step into like any plot holes or any like yep. people might want to kill me things. But I've heard it described as living power armor story. <laughs> it's very good. yeah. Let's <laughs> go. Cool. I mean, you can look at the title and it looks mm. gruesome. Mm. Oh my god, look at those teeth. Jesus fuck, mammal. It's Anyhow, we've talked for so long.
0: It's only two hours. Yeah, but it's time
1: for lunch. Ah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> Man, I was supposed to clean this morning. Mm. God damn you, Ben. I believe uh, there
0: were two people in this conversation. I can only take half of that blame.
1: I'm going to be doing a detailed analysis of talking time and then I'm going to come back to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't do that. It's going to turn at least to like 60, 40, maybe 70, 30. And I'm like, then you can blame me way too much. <laughs> 30,
1: 31, 60. And shout
0: outs to, what was it called? Aragorn Young Mass, a template a
1: variation 4. Oh. 4. Yeah. Template A, variation 4. Yeah. Oh, by spoon. Oh yeah, cool. And of course, god clouds. So both of those. Go check them out. You can find them in the link below. And also, that's where you can find our Patreon link. Give me money so that I can live, please. You will also find bonus material. So if you're listening to this and it is one hour long, then we got one hour and 17 minutes of bonus material on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this, go ahead. There's also more bonus material for Void Herald, There's bonus material for Cozy Planet. There's basically for everyone since the fourth episode. So, yeah, go ahead. Give it a listen. And thank you for staying with us. Thank you for listening to this. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Ben, for being here. No
0: problem. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
1: This episode has been brought to you by The Council of the Eternal Hiatus. If you're looking for a Discord server to discuss, read, or write LitRPG, this is the place for you. The server's hella queer, so everyone is welcome. You can find an invite link in the description below this episode.